It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, July 29th, 2022. I'm Evan Brown. China wants to be the world's preeminent power, both with wallets and weapons. But Russia's war on Ukraine has shown a light on Beijing's balking, and they don't like it. Xi Jinping is trapped. He's not capable of actually influencing events on the ground in Ukraine. And what that does is it does challenge the notion that the Chinese are a great power. This is the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Russia's war against Ukraine has generated condemnation from much of the world, but one of the major players of the East has been rather quiet, and that is China. The government of Xi Jinping had good relationships with both Russia and Ukraine, and now it has to walk a tightrope. At the same time, China wishes to challenge the dominance of the U.S. and its allies. Before Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, China and Ukraine enjoyed rather strong relationships. Craig Singleton is a senior fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, a Washington-based foreign policy think tank. Singleton says China wants you to think of it as more threatening than it really is, but still take China seriously, especially as China raises the heat with rhetoric over oil, commerce, and a potential visit of a high-ranking U.S. official to Taiwan. China was investing heavily in Ukraine, particularly in the Ukrainian tech sector, and By and large, there is plenty of reason to believe that the Chinese were very sort of surprised or taken aback by uh, Vladimir Putin's decision to invade. From from China's perspective, um, they understand Russia's security concerns and the notion that NATO is really starting to encroach on its borders. But at least from China's perspective, they would they would be a lot less interested in fighting a war, which is sort of, from their perspective, like a tacit recognition that everything else failed. Uh, And their approach would be ratchet up the pressure so much that you can extract concessions. And I think in Beijing, they were sort of surprised, and it sort of speaks to the lack of insight that the Chinese maintain into uh, Russia's elite circles. They were surprised that Vladimir Putin decided to go forward, which is why In the early days of the conflict, we saw um, absolute silence from the Chinese. Um, I think they were still trying to sort out whether this conflict was going to be fast or whether it was going to drag on. And now what we're really seeing from China's perspective, at least, is the war that Vladimir Putin is fighting is China's worst nightmare in terms of a Taiwan scenario, this idea of a long protracted battle where most of the Western world has lined up to wield its regulatory and legal weapons and financial tools against Russia. And it's having a a pretty dramatic effect, I think, on Russia's international standing, its economy. And so, at least from China's perspective, they're watching all of this unfold, recognizing that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin have a very strong personal relationship, one that's developed over the last 10 years. 
But what Chinese elites are increasingly recognizing is that even though their leaders talk about a, quote, no limits partnership, there are very clear limits such that the Chinese have been um, very hesitant to cross any of the sanctions red lines. Uh, the Chinese have cut off all of their Belt and Road funding for any Russian projects. Uh, at the same time, that they're, they're facing increasing pressure uh, to sort of condemn uh, Russia's invasion and Russia's human rights violations. And what it really means is that Xi Jinping is trapped. He it doesn't have a good option. He's not capable of actually influencing events on the ground in Ukraine. And what it, that does is it does challenge the notion that the Chinese are a great power because they're actually sort of just been uh, reduced to observers. But going forward, it seems unlikely, at least right now, that the Chinese will um, turn their backs on Vladimir Putin. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to have to uh, find some balance in their approach simply because they are very fearful that if they cross the U.S. sanctions line, it could have a, a pretty dramatic effect on China's economy at a time when China's economy is more or less in collapse. You mentioned China's economy being in collapse and and their uh, apparent fear of overstepping, um, stepping over the line with regard to uh, the U.S. sanctions on Russia. Um, the rhetoric out of Beijing does not necessarily convey that, and I realize that rhetoric isn't necessarily reality, uh, but uh, the rhetoric um, seems to insist or, or betray China's perhaps mindset or maybe the mindset of their political elite that they are on the ascent, uh, the United States is not, uh, and that they, uh, that they seem to have some kind of control in, in international affairs. Uh, is that is that not really the case then? I mean, I think sort of in some ways, I think China uh, as, as a nation and power is sort of becoming a bit of a boogeyman in the United States. But um, there is some truth to their their expansion and to their or their desires to expand and uh, not just their economy, but their influence. Wouldn't you say? I think there's a broad narrative that the Chinese attempt to put out there that China's on the rise. I actually think if you look at economic data and China's demographic challenges and China's world standing, China's actually in decline. That doesn't mean that the United States is rising. Both China and the United States can be in decline. But increasingly, there is a divergence between what the Chinese say publicly, um, some of the myth about Chinese great power competition and the role of China in leading what it calls, you know, a new international order. But amongst themselves, you're seeing very stark assessments from China's senior most decision makers about the unsustainable economic model that China has, major systemic challenges that are um, sort of really twisting the Chinese Communist Party in knots to be thinking about how to power growth um, through this next phase of its development. To give you some context, I mean, all of the current Chinese technocrats, Xi Jinping included, have more or less presided over periods of economic growth in excess of 8% GDP per year. Um, current estimates for this year are less than 3%. This is a radical decline um, with very little, little reason to believe that there's going to be some massive economic rebound. And so as China enters this period of slow growth, it means that there's less money to be carved up for all of 
Chinese leader Xi Jinping's vanity projects. There are there's less money to go around to all the different stakeholders in China, um, and so what that's going to do is actually result in intra-party rivalries and fights for resources in a diminished resource environment. And this is a simple reality that the Chinese themselves have not faced in decades. And the tension that sort of erupts from that and the major weaknesses in China's economy, not only its housing market, which represents 30% of Chinese GDP is wrapped up in its housing market, which the Chinese themselves acknowledge is sort of in a meltdown right now, even a minor deviation in that sort of part of their economy will have massive impact on Chinese way of life and Chinese um, just sort of economic growth, every facet of their political power and their power projection. All of these things are happening simultaneously uh, at the same time that there's a lot, there's decreased demand for Chinese exports. Global growth is slowing. Americans are buying less. And China's entire export-driven economy is dependent primarily on American and European consumers who aren't buying those products. And so if you can't bridge between this export-driven model that the Chinese have and this notion that they've put forward that domestic Chinese consumption or Chinese people buying Chinese produced items, if you can't make that bridge and there's no indication that they can, the Chinese Communist Party is in for a really rough ride here. And the implications of that are sort of enormous. And there's lots of great arguments on all sides that could lead to China becoming more aggressive and more belligerent. Um, I think there's some great arguments in the, to counter that that says the Chinese are going to have to sort of focus inward and devote more of their resources to their own domestic problems and solving domestic distress. But I do think that it's very important that policymakers and even just average people, uh, we start to remember that we can't base our assumptions about China in 2022 on data from 2016, because I'd be the first to tell you that if you looked at a, ch a chart or a graph of China economic growth in 2016, everything's going up, 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 just not the case now. Um, and we're sort of still grappling with what that is going to mean and hold for China's sort of power projection, its role in the world, um, and all of the domestic sort of challenges that will present themselves now as the CCP is unable to deliver on a, a solid economic model. You've been listening to Craig Singleton of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies on the Fox News rundown War on Ukraine. We'll have more with Craig straight ahead. It does seem that the CCP uh, and it, it, the institutions of the, the China's uh, China's government uh, are, are getting a bit more aggressive and maybe because they're a bit more desperate economically. Uh, but I, I think something that's certainly in the news this week is the uh, the potential trip to Taiwan uh, by uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, this is causing lots of consternation. Uh, I don't think the Chinese want her to visit. They, they think it's... Uh, it would uh, be supportive of the Taiwan uh, independence uh, movement. Uh, and uh, the White House apparently is trying to encourage uh, uh, Mrs. Pelosi not to travel. Uh, but uh, she and seem, uh, she uh, seems as if she's intent uh, on going there. Uh, what what would this really do to the U.S.-China relationship? I, I certainly I don't think they would the Chinese would be happy, but I can't imagine them risking some kind of military conflict over this. 
I think your assessment's right. I mean, Speaker Pelosi's travel is not occurring in a vacuum. And the White House has made very clear that it has pretty serious reservations about the trip, owing to the complex, multifaceted nature of today's China challenge. Now, of course, there is precedent for Pelosi's trip. Uh, Former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich traveled to Taiwan in the 1990s. But that trip occurred at a time when U.S.-China relations were relatively positive, That just simply isn't the case today. And I do think that apart from a symbolic show of support for Taiwan, uh, there is no indication that Speaker Pelosi's trip is intended to move the needle on U.S.-China relations or do what we really need to do, which is probably sign a free trade agreement with Taiwan to strengthen our ties and to reduce uh, Taiwan's reliance on China. I think the, chi- the Chinese at this point are not going to seriously escalate um, to the point that they, I can't imagine them. It would be highly unlikely for them to, for example, identify her plane and intercept it midair. That would be seen as highly provocative. But what we are likely to see if she does proceed with the trip, and it's a trip that does coincide, by the way, with the 75th anniversary of the founding of China's People's Liberation Army. So you sort of wonder why she chose this time to travel, uh, just because it's so provocative. But if she does travel, I think what we're likely to see, at least in the immediate term, is an increase in Chinese air defense incursions around Taiwan. We may even see something called a median line incursion, which is a more provocative uh, maneuver in which Chinese aircraft breach the maritime border that exists down the median line of the Taiwan Strait. But beyond that, there are very few indications um, that the Chinese are considering more serious military options. Of course, the situation is fluid and it's something that we sort of have to watch. Um, but even as we sort of think through um, what we're seeing in Chinese media, state media and Chinese commentary, they are going to voice their displeasure with this trip. Um, but because of the complexity of the U.S.-China relationship, um, I do think that there are some other factors at play that would sort of preclude them from ramping up in a way that is potentially dangerous or one that could lead to a, a very serious crisis. That could all change in the next week. Um, we're gonna, it's gonna something we're going to be closely monitoring, but at this point, I don't think there's any any reason to entertain the thought of a serious escalation and absolutely absolutely no evidence that the chinese are thinking about you know an imminent invasion of taiwan craig singleton senior fellow at the foundation for defense of democracies thank you so much for joining us on the fox news rundown war on ukraine great thanks so much for having me You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.